Welcome to The Smiley Connection, a podcast brought to you by the Smiley Professionals Network and The Smiley. On this show, we'll bring you professionals from all walks of life and across all industries to help you grow professionally and personally. We'll laugh, we'll learn, we'll connect. And who knows, you may find your next A Smiley Connection on our show. And hello, everyone. It's Rain Merchant, your host. And on today's show, we have Sana Jivani, the founder and CEO of Love Your Natural Self Foundation, a nonprofit organization dedicated to improving self esteem with a focus on empowering individuals through events, movements, and hands on sessions. She was inspired to help others after losing all her hair to alopecia in the seventh grade and subsequently struggling with her own low self-worth. Since then, her foundation has reached over 30,000 students in 100 schools and 28 countries through a curriculum that focuses on social and emotional wellness of young people. Professionally, I work at a nonprofit called Generation Hope as the community engagement manager. Um, We work to provide um, college access and scholarships. So I do um, mentor recruitment, scholar recruitment, and volunteer recruitment there. Um, I also continue to run um, my own nonprofit organization, the Love Your Natural Self Foundation. So I'll often go and travel, do assemblies, um, give keynotes and and things of that nature. Um, And then we also, with that nonprofit, also have a mental health, social, emotional learning curriculum that I just continue to manage. You work at one nonprofit, Generation Hope, and run the other one called Love Your Natural Self Foundation. Can you tell us a little bit about both of these nonprofits? I'll start with the Love Your Natural Self Foundation because that one started a lot earlier. Um, my work with that one. So when I was um, 12 years old, um, that's what really um, inspired that organization. I got diagnosed with an autoimmune condition called alopecia and lost all my hair almost entirely overnight, which as you can imagine, being 12 was really scary and overwhelming. And um, it's it's one of those ages. Um, I mean, at all ages, you care how you look, but I think especially when you're 12, that's a lot of your whole world. Um, and so I think that's, you know, that was just a really hard struggle and time. Um, I was, I w- bought a wig. I wanted to cover it up and I was bullied for a really, really long time because of it. I would get gum in my wig and notes in my locker and, um, going to school and getting out of bed. It was, it was all just very hard. And so I really started to struggle. Um, but I think, you know, in that struggle, I realized something, I realized that, you know, people were saying mean things about me, but the voices in my head, the things that I was saying to myself were, were the worst ones. So I knew that if something had to change, it had to be the voices in my head. Um, and so I started working on just, you know, having, being kinder to myself, being more compassionate to myself, being more, um, focused on my own mental health and well-being. I realized that there was a lot of stigma about mental health in the community. And so I, I just wanted to start an organization to just help address a lot of that. And that's that's really what the inspiration was. Um, we started with the idea of an international day of self-love, just kind of thinking, what if there was a day on the calendar where everybody could just love and celebrate who they are? 
Um, and then we later grew and had um, K through 12 curriculum and programming. So we, we work in a lot of schools now. We give assemblies, we give programs and curriculum. So that's a little bit about that work. Um, so that's just continued over the years. It's just grown. It's gotten better as I've gotten older and learned more about nonprofit management and education and my own story and my own reflection. Um, so that's, that's that bucket. Um, the other bucket that I work on right now is um, I work with a college access nonprofit called Generation Hope. Um, so Generation Hope really focuses, um, what drew me to Generation Hope, I guess, first of all, is I love when people can take their personal stories of adversity and hardship and turn it into the opportunity to help others. And so in Generation Hope, I saw a very similar theme um, so a little bit about the organization Generation Hope was founded by a teen mother. Um, she, um, had her, she had a teen pregnancy and, um, a lot of people told her like, you know, there's a lot of stigma and shame with that. Um, but instead of believing that her life was over, she decided that, um, she wanted to, um, you know, pursue a higher education, fight some of those voices. And so she took her infant daughter and, and, got through college, which was just really awesome to hear and learn about. Um, and so that's essentially what we do now. She founded the organization after her own experience and after seeing all the gaps in the um, higher ed system, she wanted to help other teen parents um, who, again, also face a lot of stigma, get their college degrees. So um, with that organization, I recruit mentors. I recruit the actual scholars. So sometimes I'll help go in the schools and find individuals who might qualify for our scholarship program. And then I also recruit um, community volunteers. So recruitment is my big role at that organization. That's so inspiring. Can you talk a little bit about your educational background and how that shaped you? So my undergraduate um, was at the University of Texas at San Antonio. I studied communication and sociology. And then my master's program was at the University of Pennsylvania, and I studied um, nonprofit leadership and education, culture, and society. So I think, first of all, my, my undergraduate education really, really shaped and changed my life. I think that I just personally also learned so much, like stuff that you can't really learn in a textbook. I just learned so much about myself. I think that there's pros and cons of starting a nonprofit at 15 years old. And I think one of those cons is that you grow up a little bit too fast and you don't, you know, I, I think I, I lost my hair. I, I did this. It was making me feel better, but I don't think, you know, it's, it's not magic. Like you still have to work on yourself and um, take care of yourself. So I think college was the first time that I got to kind of, be social, invest in my social life and, and learn about things that, um, like learn about and explore other interests that I might have and make friends that are really, you know, tight knit. So undergrad was probably more personally fulfilling for me in that sense. Like I learned a lot personally. Um, and then grad school was then where I was able to take a more professional focus and um, think about what skills do I think I'm missing um, when, when doing my work. Um, so I think two of the key skills were some of that leadership and management piece. Um, I'm a great storyteller, a very qualitative thinker, very 
emotional, but I think like that business aspect of running the nonprofit was really always hard for me. Um, so that that's a lot of what um, came in under or grad school with a nonprofit leadership degree. And then the other end of things that were missing for me was, um, you know, I was writing curriculum based on my own lived experience, things that I had been through. But at the same time, I've never been a teacher. I've never worked in a classroom. I didn't have enough of an education background. So I wanted an education degree as well. So I got two degrees, one to get that business end of it and one to really get that education piece. That's some great experience you shared with us. Can you talk a little bit more about the stigma that you've mentioned and how your journey was coming and facing the world with your natural self? What motivated you to do that? You hear that usually people tend to hide their shortcomings, maybe due to embarrassment or thinking about what others will say about you. So how did you overcome this obstacle? I think it was really hard and, and I'm going to be totally transparent and say that it was sometimes even harder in like the South Asian community with my relatives in Pakistan with the folks at Jamaat Khan. It was like even harder. Um, like it was hard in school, but I know that like I in those circles, I was not only navigating my own emotions and my own stigma, I was navigating my mom's emotions about me losing my hair and how that would feel to her. And, you know, she was so scared. What if people come and ask me questions? What if people ask me, like, why don't you, you probably didn't do this right with your daughter. Or you probably didn't do this right. Or you probably didn't, you know, you should try this. And, and my mom didn't want to face that. So it wasn't only me navigating my own feelings. It was navigating hers too. So there was, there was lots of complicated dynamics there, but I guess, I guess why and what motivated me was, um, like I said, I, I was just every single day I would hear such negative things from the bullies at school. People would say that I, you know, wasn't beautiful. I wasn't strong. I wasn't going to get through things. Um, kids just got really mean, put gum in my wig and stuff. And I, I remember sitting with all of that but instead of telling myself that I was strong and that I was brave and that I was beautiful, just the way God created me, I would say those mean things over and over and over again. I would like repeat all that negativity. So I, I realized that, you know, if I'm the person who's saying these negative things to myself every day, how do I expect other people to change their minds? If someone's mind's going to change, it has to be my own first. Like it has to be my voice that is kind and then that'll inspire people to see what I see. But if I don't even see it yet, what am I trying to show people? And that's that's what really motivated me. I, I knew I had to see myself the way that I wanted the world to see me in order for that to even be possible for others to perceive me in that way. So I knew that I had to like walk into every room with the level of confidence that um, you know I wanted to be admired for. So I, I just started to work on myself. I got a lot of help. I went to counseling, got help for mental health, um, saw a therapist, which I also know like mental health has a lot of stigma, but I, I was in a place where I was hurting a lot. I was struggling with depression and self-harm and, um, you know, it was really important that I got help. So I, I'm really, really glad I did. And, and eventually I think both the stigma at school and, and the cultural stigma, um, it started to go away. The more comfortable I got, the more comfortable my mom got, the more comfortable others got. 
And it was, it was just this really beautiful kind of cycle of acceptance. Truly, many people really face defeat first from themselves and then from the world. One really needs to overcome fear in yourself first, which is what your foundation helps through its curriculum, especially with young people. Regarding young people today, there is this thing called social media bullying. In fact, not just about bullying from others, but it goes to a point where your self-worth depends on the number of likes and engagement that you have on your social media posts. Youngsters are subjecting themselves to a lot of mental strain and self-bullying in that way. What would your comments be on this? We have a lot of curriculum and discussion about social media, both about cyberbullying and, and you're right, just about the general pressure that um, students feel being on social media. Um, I think my organization talks about that. We don't stray away from it. We have discussions. We have an activity where we get students to make an Instagram profile, but it would be what their real Instagram profile would look like if they there was no filter. Like, it doesn't matter. This is only for you. Who are you really? Not who are you trying to show the world, but who are you really? Um, so we do that kind of activity and, and prompt that kind of reflection. Um, it's definitely a part of the conversation. But one thing that I also try to do is I'm, I'm very open on social media. You know, I, I write about things that it surprises people that I'm willing to write about. I'll write about um, my recovery with self-harming. It's, it's really vulnerable and it's really personal and, and people feel a lot of stigma. But I, I know that if I'm open, then it could help people. Um, I, I even write when I make mistakes, when I, you know, I, um, a part of recovery is relapsing. So I'll write about when I, you know, do have a moment and I'm back in a dark place. I'll, I'll be open about those moments too. Um, you know, sometimes not right away, of course, because when you're going through it, it's hard to process and share, but I, I try to be as open as I possibly can. Um, and so I try to also live that by example. Um, I'm not perfect at it. I see myself sometimes wanting to go like, you know, whiten my teeth or edit a picture or, you know, only post the happy things. But I remind myself that people don't like my story because of the ending of it. They like myself because my story because of the messy middle. And I think that's just the truth because I think that's what people relate to a lot. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm here to show all of it beginning, messy middle and end. And that's that's okay. When things do get dark and gloomy, who have you looked to to see that light at the end of the tunnel? Who is your role model? I think my mom, even though she took a while to understand what I was doing, and that's okay. Um, but I think she was she was one of my big inspirations. Um, a lot of that just roots from her personal story. Um, you know, like many individuals um, have faced in again like the first generation American community, my mom um, never got to finish her education. She had to drop out at about like 14, 13. She never really learned English when she moved to the United States. Like she's faced a lot of challenges. And I know that one of the biggest things that she ingrained in all of her daughters was that education is a gift and it's a key that opens so many doors. And I remember at one of my lowest points, um, when I was going through all of this, one of the things that started happening was that I started failing my classes. 
And that was not normal for me. I was a straight A student, always on time, perfect attendance, but I was missed. I missed half the school year and I was failing most of my classes because I was so upset with myself that it was hard to focus on anything. Um, And so I remember this moment where I came home from school and I just saw my mom holding a letter that she had gotten from the school and she wasn't angry. She just was so concerned. And, you know, she, she, she missed me. She missed who I used to be before going through all of this. And so um, I remember also in that moment thinking that, wow, not only did I lose my hair that morning, but I lost my love of learning. I lost this close relationship I had with my mom, I I realized that negative mental health and self-confidence doesn't just affect you. It affects all the circles around you and your passions and the people in your life. So she's definitely um, a huge inspiration and an external inspiration in my life. Wonderful. Moms are a great source of strength and a lot of our listeners would agree to that. So you faced your struggles and emerged through them as a better person. What are your thoughts on giving back to the society or seva or service? A couple of things inspire me to give back. I think, you know, I think A, it was just kind of really ingrained early in life. So I think I, I just always had that natural tendency. Um, I think a lot of it, though, comes from the pain. It comes from the lows. Like, it comes from understanding and having the empathy of of what it was like to be at rock bottom and to kind of look up for, like, a moment of hope or faith or service or love or kindness from someone. And not always, but more than often, I, I I would see something. I would feel something. I would get some help and that was really awesome so you know maybe maybe not in the concrete way that I had a program like the one I created but like I don't know that's a lot of what also makes me feel spiritual and and connected to these concepts because I feel like every time I needed a sign for hope like something would happen whether that be my mom making me my favorite lunch or someone at school saying something nice or, you know, these just little signs of hope. So I think that kindness can just go a long way. And at my darkest moments, it was, it was like a light service and kindness were like a light. And so I just know what it's like to be, be down there. And I want to make sure that anybody who's going through that, I can, I can even try to be somewhat of what I feel so grateful to have had. Um, yeah. Cause I'm, I'm alive to tell this story. And I think that you know, a lot of that comes from the little signs of hope and service that I saw from others. You've talked about getting these little signs of hope when you felt low and how that connected you to spirituality. Would you like to talk a little bit about how being an Ismaili Muslim has defined you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think I think in general, being an Ismaili Muslim and faith both have really helped me. I know that I was in, um, I was in like the REC classes, like the religious education classes, just always kind of learning about faith and the concept of it. And to me, it was really hard to grasp faith, to be honest. I think growing up in the US, going to school, like having my friends, it was like, you know, just something that I was like forced to go to every Saturday. I was like, oh my gosh, my mom love her. I do it because I love her. She drags me here. And I didn't really like 
identify with it too much growing up. But I think that, again, I think what I started going through, what I went through, you just, you, you begin to see it in, in little ways and channels. Like I think faith becomes more clear than ever. Um, yeah, it, it honestly took me kind of entirely breaking down and to be at a really, really, really low point to understand that like, no matter what, no matter how much pain you're in, no matter how much you're suffering, no matter how much people have said to you or what, what's going on in your life, there's goodness in the world. And I think that's like where a lot of my faith came from. It came from the fact that like, even on my worst, worst, worst possible days, I could find one good thing, even in the craziness of the whole world and everything that's happening in the news and the media, like there's still good people and good things happening. And I think that's, that's because people choose to have um, faith and they choose to believe in hope choose to believe in something bigger than themselves. So, um, you know, that's, that's kind of just the grounding principle that I think I didn't realize was being reinforced in me, but I, I think it came from a lot of that time, um, going to those Saturday sessions and, and hearing that, I think it, it became most clear when I needed help and a sign for hope. And I think like faith and hope are very intertwined in that way. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Ismaili Connection. If you'd like to connect with Sana Jivani or learn more about any of the resources she's mentioned, check out the show notes. And if you're enjoying the show so far, please give us a review and a five-star rating on Apple or Google podcast apps. It takes less than five minutes to do that compared to the hours of work that goes into each podcast episode. So we'd be grateful for your time and support. We'd also love to hear your feedback. Reach out to us at ipnpodcast at ipnonline.net. This episode was produced by me and edited by the talented guest Ali. Marketing for this episode was carried out by the stellar Amal Musa. Our cover art is designed by the skilled Shakil Muhammad. Also, many thanks to Zoha Momin, the head of strategic initiatives at IPN. We hope you enjoyed this episode. 